Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Think Orange Podcast. A podcast with ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. Well, g'day, everyone. My name is Dave. Welcome to the Think Orange Podcast, coming to you live today from the Think Orange Bunker in downtown Atlanta. Well, it's not really live because... This is pre-recorded by the time you heard it. That's how it works on podcasts, if you didn't know that already. Hey, today we are going to be talking about helping students develop a personal relationship with God. And I got to tell you, as a dad, I am super invested in this episode. See, I have three teenage daughters. Most of you already know that. And I know that they're constantly asking me questions about the Bible, about prayer, about God, about the church, about faith and things like that. But you know, most teenagers don't have a safe place where they can ask questions about their faith. So that puts the pressure on us as church leaders to cultivate an environment where kids can develop an authentic faith. But how do we do that? How do we develop an environment where kids and students and teenagers can grow and develop an authentic faith when they live in a world that really doesn't want to have anything to do with Christianity? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're bringing in some absolute experts. You're going to hear from Stuart Hall, who serves as the Director of Student Leadership and Leadership Networking for Orange. And he also leads Influencer, that's I-N-F-L-U-N-S-R, which is an organization whose mission is set up to fuel the next generation of leaders worth following. Stuart is a really good friend of mine. He's one of the most wise and insightful people that I have ever met. And you are absolutely going to love what he has to share today. We're also going to hear from Crystal Chang. Crystal is the director of XP3 High School Curriculum here at Orange. And she's contributed to several books for ministry leaders and has recently published her first book, The Art of Group Talk for Teenage Girls, How to Lead Better Conversations with Teenage Girls. She's got such great wisdom as well. And I know all of you are going to get so much out of this episode. So as I always say, break out a notebook and pen because you are going to want to take notes on this one. But before we hear from Stuart and Crystal, I just want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by You Lead Day 2019. You Lead Day is an incredible action-packed day of training and community where we bring together thousands of leaders the day before the Orange Conference to address three key areas that can impact your ministry over the coming year. Now, I know you're wondering what those key areas are, so I'm going to tell you. Number one, the work we do on our ministry. That's the strategies that support the families in your community. The second is the work we do in our ministries. These are practical tips and ideas that help you recruit and lead volunteers, partner with parents, and develop the faith and character of kids and students. And number three is the work we do on ourselves. These are the intentional steps we take to expand our own capacity, challenge our current practices, expose ourselves to different perspectives, and ultimately grow as leaders. At You Lead Day, you can create your own personal learning experience by selecting from over 100 potential breakouts. And folks, that is a lot of breakouts, but you need them in order to maximize your time at Orange Conference and transform your ministry. So make sure you add You Lead Day to your Orange Conference 2019 experience. You can register today at theorangeconference.com. That's www.theorangeconference.com. Well, I think you guys have heard enough from me now, so I'm going to throw it straight over to Crystal and Stuart. What if we clarified the destination 
so that leaders and parents could agree about what we want for every graduating senior. That's the goal of these four spiritual habits. We define authentic faith this way. We define it this way. Trusting in Jesus in a way that transforms the way that I love God, the way that I love myself, and the way that I love people and others in the world. It's trusting Jesus in such a way that it transforms the way that I love God, myself, which is a big deal, ladies and gentlemen, and loving others. That's how we define faith that is real. Your job as a leader is to provoke discovery and fuel passion. I want to provoke children and students that I have influence with to discover what, who is this person, Jesus, and what does it mean for my life? And once he's discovered, let me fan the flame of passion in your life for him. Because that's what really all of these habits hinge on this discovery of who Jesus is, what it means for me, and me growing because of that relationship with Christ. Here are the four faith skills. I'm going to give it to you quickly, and then I'm going to spend uh, quite a bit of time uh, in our remaining time together on one particular one. The four faith, and again, some of you are going, this is what I came for. It's simple, but it's so important. Four faith skills. Hear from God. We want to help children and students hear from God, pray to God, talk about God, and live for God. Hear from God, pray to God, talk about God, and live for God. And what I, want, I want us to start from hear from God, and I want us to go back to that, that definition of authentic faith. And I want you to notice which two words I have bolded in the definition. Because here's where we are in our country. We are living in a time where more and more teenagers and children are growing up in homes and in a culture that is dogmatically, everybody pay attention and look at me. Our culture is dogmatically post-Christian. It's post-Christian. And I'm going to get to what that is in just a second. So trusting Jesus is so unbelievably important. And here's the reason why. So many people can poke so many holes in everything that we teach through the scriptures. But Jesus is the game changer. Everybody okay? Jesus is the game changer. In my opinion, and and I'll show you this in just a second, I think we've been going at it for far too many years, and I've been working with teenagers. I was a local church youth pastor for 13 years, and past that point, been working in this kind of environment and culture. But I think we've been going about it actually backwards. And it's probably part of the reason why we're set up the way we are right now in our culture. But trusting Jesus is the key. And that's why I have a picture of a pregnant lady. (laughs) Now, I want you to think about this. When you were a preschooler and someone asked you, where do babies come from? Think about the answers that we give kids. Think about it. Anybody remember those, those answers? And some of them are hysterical. And then they become elementary age. And you ask, they ask, or you ask them, where do babies come from? And they give you a little more advanced answer, but it's still, you know, it's a stork. Or, I don't know, under the tree, Santa brought it. I mean, who knows? But then they become teenagers or adults. If I were to ask you, where do babies come from? As a 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old person, and you looked at me and said, the stork? 
Can we all just agree? Here's the problem. You haven't graduated your knowledge and understanding with your age, with your maturity. And it's the way we've had a tendency to treat Jesus. We've kind of kept him down here and our, and our children and students have this very Sunday school, preschool, children understanding and answer for who he is instead of their faith maturing with him. So the older that our students and children get, their understanding has to grow with it. And here's what we're pointing for. The reason why we're pointing, this is what John Sullivan said about our culture. So for those of you that are 50, 60 years old in the room and you wonder why it is that we're so passionate about being relevant and caring about the next generation, it's this. A post-Christian society is not merely a society in which agnosticism or atheism is the prevailing fundamental belief. It is a society rooted in the history, culture, and practices of Christianity, which I hope we can all agree our, our country started with. But in which the religious beliefs of Christianity have been either rejected or even worse, forgotten. That's how he defines post-Christian. There's a study that has just come out with the Barna Group in conjunction with the American Bible Society called the State of the Bible in America. In the last six years, there's been a decrease from 21% to 17% of people who actively engage in the scriptures. That's in the last six years. This is the one that should rattle you. There's been an increase from 10 to 21% of people who are either neutral or skeptical toward the validity of the scriptures. So here's what that means. We are graduating you know, class after class after class into college, and many of them don't believe that the Bible has any relevance or any sort of authority in their life. And let's be really honest, most of us lead children and students as if that is an assumed position. When most of them are coming out of homes where mom and dad may not even believe it's inerrant or they're skeptical about it at best. By the way, this is unbelievable information. Two reasons why they're so skeptical. The first one is that the Bible is an old book. For those of you who need a heads up, this generation doesn't read. And so we're asking them, those of us that are older, I'm with you. I get frustrated by the fact that I can go to church and look around me and nobody has their Bible. You ever get frustrated by that? Well, guess why they don't have their Bible? Because they don't read. That's a generalization. So if you're like, my kids read, word. Okay, I'm with you. <laughs> but the second reason is not only is it a book, but it's an old book. And so they're thinking, the thinking of this generation we're ministering to is it's old and it's a book. So I don't want to have anything to do with it. And here's the second one. It's an old book that is anti-me. Everything they're hearing, the Bible is against black people. The Bible is against LB, you know, LGBTQ people. The Bible is against sex. It's against divorce. It's against, it's against drugs. It's against alcohol. It's just against me. It's against me. So that's what we're up against. But here's what's beautiful. Teenagers and the wisest, most studied people in the world 
have trouble explaining Jesus away because they can't. And aren't you glad? And for those of you that think even scholars are not sure that Jesus really existed, here's a heads up. That's gone. Every scholar worth their salt has to acknowledge that Jesus was a real person who lived. In fact, they all do. But we have to come to this place. The issue, isn't on which, the issue on which everything hangs is not what Jesus taught, but it's whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. And that's what we have to help. We have to help the next generation get to. Is it difficult with children? Absolutely. But it's a must with high school students. And here's why I know it's a must with high school students. Because this and this alone was our son attending Duke University. This was his anchor. Because every professor he had in classes wanted to attack the validity of the scriptures in the Bible, but they could not explain away the resurrection of Jesus. And can we all just admit, this is going to be hard, the Bible didn't create Christianity. Christianity created the Bible. And what I mean by that is the resurrection of Jesus is our hope. It's our hope. And if I hope we can agree with that. If you're in here going, I don't know, wrong conference. <laughs> but the resurrection of Jesus is our hope. So much so that we have the capacity, and I'm not going to spend any time on this, but we have the capacity, every secular scholar will tell you if they're worth their salt, that Paul was the main reason why Christianity spread the way that it did. They believe that Paul was a real person and that he did not lie. But they have a major hang up with Jesus rising from the dead. What's interesting, by the way, is that Paul visited um, Peter and James in Jerusalem only about eight years after the resurrection of Jesus. And we know that because he talks about it. So they say, Paul is, I mean, Paul is an anchor. And Paul declares, I'll talk to Peter and James who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And one of them, heads up, was the brother of the son of God who didn't believe he was Jesus while he was alive. But then he rose from the dead and everything changed. What hap which happens when you see your brother killed on Friday and at Starbucks in downtown Jerusalem on Tuesday. All right, that changes. But he wasn't getting that goofy unicorn drink, okay? What we've had a tendency to do, and I've got to fly, we've had a tendency as it relates to hearing from God, helping students hear from God, is we've taken the scriptures and we've asked them to work their way in because we think they can behave their way to belief. So we'll start in Genesis or we'll start in Revelation or we'll start in the epistles and we'll start over here in the Psalms and we're, we're, we're going to work our way to Jesus. This is just a suggestion. What if we did this? What if you start with Jesus and work your way out? Because can we just agree? If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, nothing that Paul says matters. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, the Old Testament is still the Jewish Bible. But because Jesus rose from the dead, now all of this matters. And again, we're asking students to take the scriptures and take them seriously to the degree where we want you to change your life because of what it says. Jesus changes everything. So if I may, make sure every child and student you have in your ministry has a hard copy of the Bible.
Make sure of it. These are practical. Encourage your small group leaders to text scripture during the week. We need to use social media to our advantage. And one of the ways that we can use it to our advantage is we can take the scriptures that many students kind of hold at arm's length and we can text those things or send those things or email those things to our students and show that there's relevance in what the scriptures say. But the relevance is attached to this fact. Because Jesus rose from the dead, the New Testament matters. My pastor, who you heard this morning, says it this way. Jesus will make you better at life and he'll make your life better. So Jesus, trusting Jesus is the key. Can I lean my life on this fact that Jesus proved himself to be God because he rose from the dead? And if I can lean my life on that, then what he has to say and what people have to say because he rose from the dead and what the scriptures pointed to because we knew or God knew in his sovereignty that this was going to happen, this starts mattering and the scriptures start mattering. And you and I have this unbelievable opportunity to say to our students and children, this is why the scriptures are important. So listen, listen for God to speak to you through this. Here's the second one. Pray to God. These are really, really simple. It's why I spent so much time on the first one. Here's what I think we've got to do. We've got to have students and children hear us praying for them. We have to pray for our, can we just all, there's not one single person in this room that can change a life. You don't have that capacity. I'm going to be honest. I would take Calvinism to a whole nother level because I'm pretty sure I wouldn't die for any of y'all. I would die for my wife and kids and that's it. Predestination is very narrow if I'm Jesus. But is this not crazy? We have a capacity to pray, to intercede on behalf of our children and students. We can talk to the creator of the universe and let's remember why. Because of Jesus. So pray for them. And here's what it's going to mean. For those of you that aren't confident praying out loud, you have no idea what it does to the heart of a child or a student if you walk up to them and say, hey, can I just pray for you? And it doesn't have to be long. And you don't have to know all the cool words. You can just put your hand on and go, yo, G, what up? Talking to you for my man. (laughs) Help him. Deuces. I mean, that's it. Or you can know all the words, justification, sanctification, all that, and you can lay it on them. But pray. Listen, pray for them and let them hear you praying for them. Because that turns into praying with them. Because they begin to go, you know what? Talking to God is important. So can I pray with you about this? And here's what it may mean. You may have to say, hey, I'm going to pray and then you pray. And when they pray, agree with them. Agree with them. Let them pray and you agree with them. Because here's a lot of the reason why our children and students don't pray. No one's ever taught them how to pray. And they, many of them are living in homes where mom and dad have never prayed out loud in front of them. So pray for them. Pray with them. Let them pray and agree with them. What that begins to do is they become comfortable understanding that I have the capacity because of Jesus to talk to God and God, oh man, God hears me and he loves me and wants to intercede on my behalf. 
Here's the third. Encourage small group leaders to text. That's a great thing. If you're a small group leader in the room, actually pray your prayer via text. I don't know if you know you can do that. But everything you would say to Jesus, say it on text and press send to whomever. And what that says to them, I cannot, I do it with my my own small group. I will pray for my, my friends and I'll send it to them and I'll get a text back. Amen and amen and amen. So send text and pray for your, your children and students. Talk about God. When, by talking about God, we're not necessarily talking about the, this, you know, talking to someone about him, but allowing children and students to actually talk about what they're thinking about God. And if you're going to do that, you've got to be ready for hard questions. You've got to be ready for hard questions. If you're ministering to middle school students, remember, they think like engineers, so they're trying to, they're trying to connect the wires. And that means there are going to be some shocking questions, and it's simply because they're trying to connect A and B and C to get to D. High school students are going to ask or say shocking things more times than not because they're trying to believe or figure out, do I believe what I'm saying? So be prepared for hard questions. Allow students to verbalize their doubt. Now, let's find out how much family we are. How many of you in this room, you have doubts sometimes? Look, keep your hand up. Look around you. Wow. We're either really screwed up <laughs> or this thing is hard. And can we just agree? This thing is hard. We see so much pain. We see so much injustice. If we have doubts, what makes you think a child doesn't have doubts? And can we agree that the safest place for a kid to express their doubts should be the church? It should be the church. Maybe the reason why their mom and dad have such a difficult time Talking about God is they express their doubts during an age and generation where you didn't doubt God. And now they're not going to talk about him at all. But what would happen if we give students and children license to go, I'm not sure either. And you do realize, right? It's okay for you to say, I don't know. It's okay for you to say, me too. But can we just keep following Jesus together? Because I don't know about everything else, but that dude rose from the dead. And if he can rise from the dead, I'm rolling with him. (laughs) Doubt is not toxic to faith. Unexpressed doubt is. Doubt isn't toxic to faith. Unexpressed doubt is. Because unexpressed doubt becomes a very ugly thing. But if students have the ability to to actually get it out there, they become accountable to their doubt, and now you can begin to work with them. Ask questions. The reality is, for a youth pastor or a small group leader, the most important thing about your job and my job is your EQ. It's not your IQ. You do not have to be the sharpest tool in the shed. But you do have to have unbelievable emotional intelligence. To ask questions. Ask questions. And you've got to, it's, it's, it's an art. 
How far can I press with this kid? How far can I, how much can I ask questions here? Because here's what that does. Them being, again, them being able to talk about God is going to pay huge dividends at some point. Because they're going, anytime I was in school and I had a question, I raised my hand because I wanted an answer. So them asking questions is giant. Here's the last one. Live for God. Live for God. Make this simple. Living for God can best be summarized. Serve, serve. And when you get tired of serving, serve some more. Lay, help students and children begin to lay their lives down on behalf of somebody else. Allow them to do that. If you don't have that built into the DNA of your ministry, figure out how to do it. Stop doing some things that you think are important so that you can start doing the most important thing better. And serving is an unbelievably important thing. It's an unbelievably important thing. The church where I attend, this, Reggie said this, if you want to disciple teenagers, then give them consistent opportunities to serve others and coach them while they're doing it. Here's what's sad. In most of our youth ministries in our country, most teenagers will tell you that their, their greatest spiritual growth jump happened when they got to serve somebody else or went on a mission trip. And isn't it a little bit sad that most of us only program to do that once a year? We do missions once a year and students are telling us my, my jump in spiritual growth happened when I served somebody else. So why not do it on a weekly basis? Why not figure out how to help them do that consistently? This is what we did at our church. I attend a church um, here in this area called Gwinnett Church. It's part of the North Point family. And for the last several years, we have partnered with Tim Tebow's foundation that does these things called a night to shine. And, and a night to shine allows special needs and, and, and mentally um, challenged students to have a prom. And here's what, ooh, what's beautiful about it is that the big man on campus, the quarterbacks and the cheerleaders, who always have dates, who have never been passed over, Make somebody's night who's never had that experience. And I cannot tell you how much them doing something small like this, many of them nominal at best spiritually, has been a catalyst for them to go, I need to follow Jesus closer. I mean, look at these, first of all, look at the joy on that girl's face. Look at this. We had over a thousand people having a prom. And if you've never danced, these people can dance. Unbelievable. They're just full of joy. And what it does in the heart of a kid who's never extended themselves is it takes them to a place where they go, God's changing me because I have considered myself Less. I think it was C.S. Lewis said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. And you have that opportunity every single week in some way, shape, or form. Welcome to 
to the Think Orange podcast. We're here at Orange Conference 2018. I'm Sarah Bragg, and I am sitting with one of my favorite people, Crystal Chang. Hey there. Welcome to the table. Thanks. This is my first Think Orange podcast. Are you serious? That's right. Well, I'm super honored that I get to interview you for that episode. Well, I'm excited about it. I'm a friend of the pod. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, today we're going to get to talk about student ministry and um, spiritual habits and prayer. So that's where we're going to kind of dive in. But before we get to that point, I would love for those of you who aren't familiar that are listening to who you are, just to give us a snapshot of your role here at Orange Mm -hmm. and even your personal and professional background with working with student ministry. Sure thing. So right now what I do is I'm the director of high school strategy at Orange, which means a few things. It means I work on the curriculum team. It means that I work with high school camp and high school events and work with training for youth pastors and small group leaders, which is really, really fun. Before that, I was in public education for about 10 years. I worked with high school students. Um, I'm always like really nervous to tell people that I was a Spanish teacher because their answer is either I loved it or I hated it. It raises (laughs) up a lot of um, past emotion. It does. And I want to be like, hey, we can still be friends even if you don't know how to speak Spanish. But that's what I did for about 10 years. And at the same time, I was um, a volunteer in my local church in youth ministry. And and it went from being a small group leader to being a communicator, to being a groups director, to being a curriculum writer, to being an interim youth pastor. And it was one of those volunteer roles that just whatever was happening at the moment, it, it began to evolve. And, and over time, it evolved into something that I wanted to do full time. So that's That's how I ended up here. That's impressive because you just started. I feel like so many people are like, oh, how did you get to where Like they want to start here and to just know I just started as a volunteer. That's right. Who loves students. That's right. Who loved God. And then I got all the way over here. So that's great. Well, I think when it comes to developing, students developing a prayer life, I think, first of all, that's just a hard thing in general. I've talked to adults who I, I just recently was asked the question, I don't, how do you pray? Like, and to me, sometimes I was like, oh, I just... It's a I just, weird thing to do, isn't it? Right. I was like, I just talk like I'm talking to you. Like, I, I might yell, I might cry, I might be just, you know, boring even. Like, it's just kind of how I talk. And that was a foreign concept. So I know that with students, that's an interesting thing. Because it's mm-hmm. just... Because they're wrestling with questions of, you know, what? Well, who is this? And I'm supposed mm-hmm. to just talk. So from your experience, how do we as church leaders sometimes get it wrong when it comes to um, supporting students and influencing students and developing a prayer life. This is such a thing that I'm dealing with right now, because right now I have a group of 10th grade girls. There are 30 girls in my not small group. I was going to say that's a youth group. Yep. It's a youth group. Um, So 30 10th grade girls. And we're having these conversations because some of them don't come from a church background. Some of them do. But all of them have this sense or this tension about prayer is weird and all the adults in my life act like it's not. And so we say things as adults, we're like, oh, you just talk to God like you talk to a friend, which is cool, except God never talks back like your friend talks back. And truth be, do they actually talk to their friends or are they texting their friends most of the time? Yeah. That's super true. Having face-to-face conversation is really, really hard now. And and in fact, we talk all the time with my girls about the lengths we go to to not talk on the phone because talking on the phone causes right. anxiety for those of us who, who interact mostly by text. Oh, how we've been conditioned to not talk. And then we're like, hey have a conversation where the other person doesn't audibly respond, doesn't respond in text, and try to tell yourself that that's not awkward 
And, and students just don't buy it. And so I think one of the first things that as adults we have to do is just own the fact like, hey, this isn't like every other conversation that you have because every other conversation has immediate feedback. And I've talked to so many students in my own group and in other groups who say things like, no, I tried it. It doesn't work because they are waiting on this immediate feedback and it's not happening. And adults, I think we have to own the fact that it doesn't happen for us either. Prayer is something that changes us over time and it's answers we see sometimes years down the road. It's not often, sometimes, but it's not often an answer received immediately or a result received immediately. And, and when we act like it is in front of students, not only do we lose credibility, but it affects God's credibility. And so I think we have to be a little more honest in how we talk about it. Well, and especially with dealing with this age of mm -hmm. students where you get everything immediately. Yep. I mean, I don't even have to wait for anything. So like if, if my internet takes longer than 0.43 seconds, I'm yep. like, oh, what's happening? So for students who have, that's all they've ever known yep. is immediate gratification to talk to someone who doesn't talk back and then you don't see results immediately, mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of is a faith killer. Oh, it's such a faith killer. And, and because of our phones, and phones aren't a bad thing, but they have done some things to our brains. And one of the things our phones have done to our brains is teach our brains that waiting is a, is a discomfort. And so immediately, you know this, if we're standing in line at a grocery store um, or at a stoplight for that matter, Truth. we reach and we begin to scroll, right? Because we need some kind of feedback all the time. And we didn't grow up with that. Right. That's new for us. But for kids who grew up with that, the idea of waiting quietly is a really, really difficult thing. And I think we have to talk about that. Right. My girls are like, hey, you talk about our brains a lot. Are you like... I don't know, like, are you like a doctor? Because they don't understand what I do for a living. And that's when you say yes. And I'm like, yes. no, I'm not a doctor. I'm just trying to figure out what's wrong in my own brain. Right. So I thought I'm you were telling saying, you what I'm, I'm trying learning. to figure out what's wrong with you. <laughs> I was like, you're such a great small group leader. <laughs> you're strange. No, I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with me. So you get the byproduct of that information. That's right. Well, from my, my own work with Orange, I know that we feel like prayer fits within to what we refer to in our context and our circles as the four spiritual habits. So um, for those of you who aren't familiar with them, will you share them? Sure, 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 sure. I know every group of people has their own language to talk about spiritual habits. So whether you talk about a quiet time or whether you talk about time with God or devotionals, we're just talking about the things that you do every day to get to know God better. And we categorize them into four. You could probably split them out into five or recategorize them into three. There's nothing magic about that. But our four sound like this. The first is hear from God. And we talk about hearing from God through his word, but we also talk about hearing from God through people. And we talk about hearing from God, even through just noticing his creation and the things he's done intentionally. So we start with his word, but we also hear from God in other ways. The second is uh, talk to God or pray to God. And that's the one we're talking about today, right? And uh, the third is, is talk about God, not only in an evangelistic sort of way, but talking about God in your circle of friends and processing faith with an adult who cares about you. And then the last of the four faith skills is to live for God. And it really explores what is worship. And we talk about worship through music, but also worship through service and worship through community and worship through just daily life. And so that's it. Hear, talk, live, pray. Simple. Like, yeah, we can remember that. Okay, so as leader, as a leader, as a ministry leader, 
what can a leader start doing to help guide and encourage students as they develop that faith skill and that habit of prayer? Well, I think we have to help them have an experience that they can recognize. And when they don't get that immediate result, we need to create a situation in which they do something over time that they're not seeing an immediate result, but we're going with them saying, hey, you will, you will, you will, you will, you will. Um, For my girls, what that looks like, it, it looks like different things at different times. But a lot of times I will say, hey, let's get together. And let's do this uh, devotional study. We'll, we'll grab a devotional and we'll do it together for a month and then say, okay, now go do it on your own for a month. But I want you to meet with me together because we get in a habit. You show up just because I'm there. And eventually over the course of that month, they begin to sense some feedback in their own lives. They see some results in their own lives where if I just said, hey, here's a devotional, they might do it for a day and not see a result and then nothing happens right. and they give it up, Right. Well, and I think there's, there's something to walking through it with them. So th- when they're sitting with you, mm-hmm. you can say, you know, when I was reading this, this is what I felt like I was hearing God say, or this is what I felt like I was being, you know, kind of prompted to do towards someone. And then they go, oh, you got that. I see how you got that out of that. Mm-hmm. Like it helps model how to look for those kind of clues. Yeah, isn't it funny? We give them, like, we would never give them car keys without an adult to ride alongside them for a while, but we will hand them a Bible with no context and be like, good luck. Right, Spend some time reading this in the morning before you wake up. (laughs) Just close your eyes and start in Leviticus. That's right. That's right. right. It'll be great. Okay, well, the XP3 team has recently created and released a project called the 30 Challenge. So I want to know all about this. Tell me about it. This is one of my favorite things. I'm so excited about it because it wasn't something we planned to do. It was something that the youth pastor that I serve with came to me and we did it with a group of students. And after seeing the result, I'll be honest with you, before we did it, I was like, eh, this might work, it might not. After seeing the result, I said, okay, every youth ministry in America needs to try this. And, and it's called a challenge because it is. In fact, we all know people, right, who have done the Whole30 challenge, right? Bless them. Bless them. We know people who have done an ice bucket challenge. We know people, they go viral all the time. There's this challenge and there's that challenge. And the reason people do that is there's something in us that gets excited about doing something that might normally be difficult, but doing it with a group of people. And it's like this all in, all hands in. We're going to do this together. We're going to be in it for each other. And so this is a spiritual habits version of that challenge. It's not a devotional, but it's a, hey, guys, we're going to go all hands in and we are going to do something that we might not normally do. We're going to do it for 30 days. And we're all going to be texting each other every day. And so in my small group, what that looked like was we're going to spend 30 minutes with God for 30 days. And I don't, I don't know what your devotional time looks like. Maybe it's two hours. 30 minutes is a lot for me right. as an adult. How was your, what was your girl's response to that? Their eyes got really huge and they were like, so what do we like, but like, what do we do in those 30 minutes? Can I just look at Instagram and think about God? Does that work? And thankfully, like our, our church had put together this program where they aren't just flipping through the Bible and pointing at a random passage and trying to think about it for 30 minutes. It's broken down into 10 minute segments. So we give them some scripture each day, and here's what you're going to read. It's going to take about 10 minutes, which honestly is more than you would normally read. Right. And we didn't 
give them the passage. We, we told them the address of the passage, but we didn't give them the passage. Because one of the things we've noticed is that the Bible literacy is struggling, <laughs> that not every kid knows where to find 1 Corinthians. Right. And so they'll say things to me like, first half or second half of the Bible? Right. Like, which side of this book should I look on? <laughs> and we at least wanted them to get used to searching for it in a Bible app if they hadn't done that before. So we give them the passage and they read that for 10 minutes. Then we give them some prompts to write about it, think about it, reflect about it, talk about it for 10 minutes. And then we ask them to pray for 10 minutes. And that's another thing that 10 minutes of prayer is a really that long is time. Hard. I don't know if I talked to anyone for 10 minutes. Right? And so we gave them some ideas about how to manage that. And one was, we want you to post on social media, how can I pray for you? And begin to take prayer requests from, from your friends at your school. And the stories that came out of the people who responded that they weren't that connected to, they said, hey, I know you're doing this challenge. I was wondering if, I, if you could pray for me. Mm-hmm. And then they'll begin to text the group. You know, one girl texted the group and said, hey, guys, I'm three minutes in. I'm out of material. <laughs> what can I pray for? And, and it was so fun to watch at the beginning. It was a struggle for everyone. Uh, we created like a group chat and everybody would post pictures each day of, hey, I just did it. I just did it. I'm checking in. I'm checking in. And the students we who made it to the end, first of all, they were incredibly proud of themselves, which was I'm kind of sure. fun. Well, any kind of like that's a hard when you do a hard thing, especially mm-hmm. as a student. You're going to be proud. That's awesome. It was really neat. But the the fun part was hearing them talk about it when it was over. We we got some video recording of students who had gone through the challenge saying things like, hey, this changed the way I saw God. It changed the way I saw myself. It's something I want to keep doing, probably not for 30 minutes every day because it's a lot. Um, but it's something I want to keep doing. One girl came to her parents and her parents asked her, hey, what has changed in you lately? Because you seem different. And they said, well, we think it's that mission trip you went on. And she said, no, it's the 30 days before the mission trip. Wow. Here's what I was doing. And so after seeing the result with students, we, we basically took the 30 challenge and put it into a devotional booklet so that student ministries can buy them for their students. We made them as inexpensive as possible. Basically, we went to a printer and said, if we print a whole lot of, like thousands and thousands, how cheap can you get it? Because we want every kid to be able to do this challenge. And so we, we brought those with us to the Orange Conference, yeah. and they sold out the first day. Wow. So I'm really excited. It looks like there will be a lot of, of student ministries doing those with us, and um, they're printing the next batch of them right now. So moving forward, where can people find the 30 Challenge? It's at 30challenge.com, and you can spell it out, 30challenge, or you can do the 30challenge.com. Both of those point to the same place, and you can sign up there. That's perfect. Thanks for hanging out today. Hey, this was fun. Thanks for hanging out with me. Wow, there were so many fantastic nuggets of wisdom and insight from both Crystal and Stuart. But man, the thing that stood out for me was Stuart saying that doubt is not toxic to faith, unexpressed doubt is toxic to faith. That for me as a dad is such an important idea. Um, At home, I've tried to create this environment where my kids know that all questions are allowed, even questions about faith. In fact, one of the things I often say to them when they get home from school is, did you ask any good questions today? Because I'm trying to instill in them this idea that asking questions is the only way that you will grow, especially when it comes to your faith. 
And part of the reason I do that is because I know that asking questions has helped me grow in my faith. And also because I know that smart people give smart answers, but wise people ask smart questions. Well, I hope you got as much from this episode as I did. And if that is the case, why don't you leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts? That helps us out tremendously. And also make sure you subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Also check out the show notes for this episode. They can be found at thinkorangepodcast.com. That's thinkorangepodcast.com. That's where you're going to find some information about how you can contact Stuart and Crystal, how you can stay connected to us here in the Think Orange Bunker. And also there is a bunch of quotes that you can share on social media. So make sure you go and check that out, thinkorangepodcast.com. And while you're at it, share this episode with a friend. I'm sure there are many people in your life who have questions, who have doubts about their faith, who would benefit from this episode. And as always, whenever you think next generation, Think Orange. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Think Orange podcast. Join us next time for more ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. For more episodes and show notes, visit thinkorangepodcast.com. 